0: Greetings once again in Jesus name. Let's start with the question. What was the name of the idol whose head was cut off even though no one touched him? I thought maybe I should have said no man touched him because I think he was touched. What's the name? Uh, I, this is terrible. I need to pick a girl because I forget which boy's answer it. Young lady, go ahead. What's his name? Dagon. I, I'm sorry, I still didn't hear Dagon. Dagon, you got it right. 1 Samuel 5, 4. And uh, it had to be the strangest thing. You put the idol to bed at night, and you go to your bed, and you come back, and it's laying on the floor. Smash. Uh, I don't know about smash. It was kind of a weird break. The hands were cut off, and the head was cut off, the scripture says, and they hadn't touched him. And... Somewhere at night, the finger of God came down and gave a push. And it's just a fascinating story. Thank you for getting that one. Now, this one for tomorrow night is one that my wife gave me. I, I told her what I was doing. She said, I think I have one that they might not get. But she said, I know it's true. And I'm a little bit worried that there's actually more than one answer, but I, I'm not sure. Let's see what you come up with. What is a name that is still common today for a man, but this name was used as both a man and a woman's name in the Old Testament? What is a name that is still commonly used today for a man, but it was used as both a man and a woman's name in the Old Testament? Hopefully that will make you work a while. (laughs) I didn't know the answer to it. She had to tell me. So maybe we'll have to get her down here to tell you tomorrow night. But That'd be nice, but I don't think she's coming. You work on that. Brother Song Leader, could you lead us in verses four and five, 1, 4, and 5 of our theme song, and we'll go into the message. Greatest privileges of being a Christian is to have the voice of the Spirit in our heads. Um, Isaiah has a, a, a very special way of saying, explaining the work of the Spirit. Sometimes people get the mistaken idea that we turn into drones, that somewhere else the joysticks are, but when God's Spirit is in us, we just kind of move along. And it's not true. Isaiah says that. When my spirit comes, it doesn't quite say it in these words, but this is what it means. When my spirit comes, you're going to hear this voice behind you. And it's going to say, to the left, to the right, straight ahead. Oh, stop. And you'll hear this voice. And sometimes we get kind of spooked thinking about hearing voices in our head. No, 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 no. It's, it's, It's normal to have voices in your head. The scary part is when you don't. If there's somebody here tonight that doesn't hear voices, I feel sorry for you. Because there's a mechanical problem. That's true. Think about it. Open your Bibles to Psalm, cha- verse, Psalm 4. You don't say chapter for Psalm. Psalm 4. The message tonight is one that um, I was working on preparing for this week. It's going to be on a subject that is um, important to me it's probably a message that has as much to say to me as it does to anybody here um, because of some of the challenges that I have endured in my life. And I started out working on a message that was on Christian and his thought life and taking responsibility for what we think about and how that all plays out. And I was drawn to a verse in my studies Here in Psalm 4, and as I looked at the verse and expanded into the context, my study kind of got sidetracked, and I ended in a place in my studies where I decided to just simply do an expository on this psalm. And it's going to go where I set out to go, but it's going to be much broader than that. Now my hesitation in bringing this message is that I did a trial run at Tyrone on Sunday morning and it happened what I thought might happen and that is that it only seemed to connect with a portion of the people because we're not all we're we're all made of the same stuff but we don't run on the same wavelengths do we My wife and I know that and it works But our poor deacon tried to stand up and close the service, and and I could tell he didn't know what to say. He he just, you know, good message. Let's dismiss. But afterwards, his wife came to me and said, that's the best message I ever heard in this pulpit, and it helped me so much. She's my cousin, we're a lot alike. (laughs) Okay? But I want to share this because I know that if the meditations of this meditation you can connect with. you have a, a a matter in your life that when 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 you are encountering and struggling with it, it's huge. And so I enter into this knowing that I may not be able to connect or minister to everyone gathered here tonight, but if if there's a way that I can encourage one person in their struggles, I'm satisfied. Verse one. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. My my intent is to simply make an expository here, and we will go to other scriptures. But what we have here is a Psalm of David, at least that's what the heading says. I I checked a couple of, of concordances to see if... Adam Clark, with all his Latin and Hebrew study, could somehow give me a context of where this came from, and he couldn't. It's very little known. There was one commentator that speculated that it was right, written right at the beginning of the Absalom rebellion, when not much had happened, but a wise man could see that something was going on. I don't even know why he said that. That was his opinion. But it's a prayer of David, and it's a psalm of David, and so therefore it is a song. David is the author, we think of it as a song, and I know that that many of you know that songs are unique language. So I stand here and I talk tonight, and you're whether you say it out loud or you never even show the flicker of emotion, you're giving me a grade of how good my speeches are. That's normal. That goes that goes with it. But I know that text and talk are one thing. But there's a few of us that are gifted in things like putting meter to our talk, and we call that poetry. And I'm not a big poetry buff. I, I have a small mind, and I don't connect very well. And so many times when a, when a poem is read, it just kind of like... But for many people, it, it enhances the language and they hear more and they think more and they're, they're inspired more by putting the meter to it. And then you have songs where you put meter and music to it and you add that third ingredient of tone and the quality of music and it, it goes some more and, you know... Just take this theme song, and it's true that there are lines in here that because the four-part harmony is traveling along, it reaches deeper into the soul, and it sinks further, and we connect more. And I wish that I could see the music for this song. I don't know anything about Hebrew music, but it was songs, and some of these they would sing as they were going up the steps. But here we have this song, and um, I want to look at it as a song. I don't have the, I can't delineate where the verses start and stop. It's not eight verse song. It's something else. But I can tell you this: that as I read it, there's three voices that are speaking in this song. You have verse one, which is the cry of David: "Hear me when I call, O God." And then you have most of the song is David speaking, but he does borrow a voice in the front part of verse 6 where he calls out, there's a lot of people that say this line, who will show us any good? And he injects that into his song as part of the meditation that he is doing. And then you back up to verse 2, and there's a third voice, and that is Jehovah's himself. Verse 2 is God speaking, not David. O oh, ye sons of men... How long will you turn my glory into shame? And I I, I love listening to this psalm on my Bible app because it's animated and so they have different voices in these different parts. One man reads one three to eight, except a woman talks in verse six, and verse two is the voice and it's deep and it's it's heavy and it's God speaking and and it. You know, when you're driving down the interstate and you need to fill your mind with something, I enjoy that. And just listening to those different speakers and say, well, oh, I never saw that. But yeah, there it is. It, that is God's words. He's the one asking that question. Verse 2, the, the Lord speaks. And it's fascinating and intriguing for me to think through why God said what he did after David said what he did. David says, hear me go, Lord, when I call. You've enlarged when I was in distress in the past. Now have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. And instead of God saying, there, 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 he just changes the subject. And, and he rears back. I don't actually know the Lord well enough to know what his, what his capacities and limitations might be when it comes to frustration there was a time that when Jesus was here on earth who was the son of god it says that they asked him and he sighed deeply or he looked on them with anger and you know that 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 god has a wrath component to him and he is capable of it but the but the, the place where i spin out in my in my mind is that when you start talking about god being frustrated it can't be the same that as me being frustrated because when i get frustrated it is primarily a, a, that that unhinged feeling and and burn that I'm up against something that needs to change and I'm powerless to do it. That's where I get mostly frustrated. Now there is nothing like a short armed God, where where he he wishes he could change, he wishes he could overrule, he wishes he could, and he can't. So frustration in the level that I know it and feel it is not his, but there is an angst, there is a a something warm that is coming out as he throws this question out, Oh, ye sons of men, how long? Oh, ye sons of men. Do you say that with a, a flowery voice or do you say it with a heavy voice or do you say it with an intense voice? I think it's more like the last. Oh, ye sons of men, what in the world is going on? How long is this going to go on? And he may ask that question. Because he knows time better than any of us. He's, he's certainly endured more of it than I have. How long will you go? And um, it's a worthy question. And it's fascinating to me that he throws that up against David's. It's more than a query. David is like, this is intense. I need help. And, and, and where are you? And he says, no, there, there, never mind. I got a question for you. My question is, how long are you people going to come back to me and, and keep doing your own thing and making me take what's left over or take my glory and turn it into shame? you love vanity. Ask Solomon about vanity. Read Ecclesiastes for yourself. you get a thorough treatment of the concepts of vanity. It's that, it's that high energy spinning of the wheels to get nowhere. Put your car up in blocks and hold the gas pedal flat now you know what vanity is it's a lot of gas a lot of noise and a lot of smoke and you didn't get off the spot how long will you love vanity and seek after leasing is lying seek after hypocrisy seek after kidding seek after just for the fun of it seek after lying leasing and that's his question that's his counter to david's question you hear me? Please hear me. You did before. Now hear me again. And as soon as David gets that question pushed back to him, and the seal is injected in there for David to just enter into that question and brood on it for a bit, his answer comes back, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. And it's almost like in that exercise He pushes the question out. He gets the question back from God. And as he starts to think about it, there's a recalibration, a reconnection, and we come back. Which is, looks highly efficient. It looks like an easy formula to rattle through. (laughs) However, what the rest of the psalm is, is the living of how you move from that place of 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 indecision or, worse yet, fretting or anxiety. Where is God when I need him? He used to be here, and I can't find him now. And and will you answer when I call? And God redirects him back, and he gets to this place where I know, I know that the Lord is near those that call upon him. Well, that's what the rest of the psalm is. He outlines the behavioral thinking patterns, what you do and what you think and how you live, to move to this place of verse three, and if you look at it from that context, all of a sudden verses four and five, in particular, become very important for the for the soul to ponder. And he's going to list about six steps, and I think they are steps because of the order they're given in and the order that um, that life is ought to be arranged. He's going to give this path after hearing God's question and discovering the answer, step by step by step. What is step number one? Verse four. He says, "You stand in awe." What's awe? Not not all A W L or all A L L. It's awe. Maybe maybe fear of God. Perhaps respect is a good synonym. They both fit, but maybe they don't say enough. It's just that idea of a stillness. Did you ever hear the anything or verse in the Bible that goes like this? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why standing in awe is the first step. That 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 respect or that consciousness. God is here. God is deserves me giving him glory, not turning his glory into shame. God does not like when I pursue vanity, so therefore I will forsake it, but it's that consciousness. I learned a lesson about fear of God in a lawn one day, about a year and a half ago, I was given a job to take over and it's a little village where I'm supposed to go in once a week and run a number of water tests and log them and upload them to the state's website so that they know that things are in order and so forth. And I have two stops I have to make when I go in that village. I go to the watershed, the pump station and I check everything and I do some tests and then I go back. Reed Street to the back of the village and I turn left on Juniata and I go pull up to this house and it is I need to pull water samples there because that represents the far end of the water system and if it's good there and there then it's probably good everywhere else okay. Now the first time I went there I noticed there was a, a, a chain link fence around the yard and it said danger no trespassing on the gate but I had talked to the people there and the people that were doing this testing before said it's good to go. And I talked to them. They said, sure, just come on in. There's a hydrant on the side of the house. You just go in there and test the water. About July of 21, I started doing it. And um, I just thought they were maybe were not so nice people that they had the no trespassing sign there. But about September or October of that fall, I was uh, there, and they had a garden hose hooked up, and it wouldn't come off. And I got down on my knees, and I was trying to see why this thing wasn't coming loose. And while I was down there on my knees, about that far from the corner of the house, I all of a sudden heard a sound, and around the house came a German shepherd. And he had his mouth open. I could see down his throat, and there was spit flying out, and he was barking and snarling and spitting, and he scared the living daylights out of me. And I just froze I mean, okay boys what do you do when a German shepherd charges you and you're kneeling in front of it and and I just froze and and I looked at him and I don't even know where this reaction comes from I just yelled at him you get out of here and he just stopped when I yelled and he stopped about this not two feet about that far from me but he didn't quit barking and snarling and and I'm there just shaking and I just stared at him, and I opened up the spick, and I filled my bottle, and I just stared at him, and, and he wouldn't come any closer. He just kept right on barking and, and snapping, and, and then I stood up, and I started backing up, and I never, I just, I remember what our vet told me from when I was a little boy. He said, if you have a wild dog in front of you. Just keep looking at him. Look at him in the eyes and they won't do anything as long as you just stare them down. And so I just stared him down, and I backed up, and all of a sudden I got to the gate, and I jumped out and slammed the gate shut, and he came tearing over to the gate, and, but he was inside, and I was outside. It probably took 30 minutes for my heart to go back to normal again. What do you think I thought about the next Monday morning when I went through that gate? What do you think I thought about the next Monday morning when I went through that gate? I was just there on Monday before I came down here. What do you think I thought about when I went through the gate? I have been conscious of that German shepherd. He has never come back. Every day that I go in there, I hear him inside the house now. He doesn't like me. He makes a lot of racket, but he's inside the house and nobody is home. But I am conscious of the German shepherd. I don't think about other things, it's just there. Juniata Street, 308, going through the gate, the German shepherd will be on my mind. Do you know what the fear of the Lord is? God's not a German shepherd. He only bites those who ask for it. Okay? The rest of us, he just wants you to respect him and to be conscious of him and to stand in awe of Him, because He is God, and there is none like Him, and He can do all things, and He does whatever He will, and we are His creatures. Stand in awe. And number two step is, and sin not. I need to tell you this, that it's never a good time to sin. But, to be realistic with life, let us also know that... Times, places, and predicaments matter. So here's how life works, at least for me. And that is that when it comes to whether or not we sin with our lives, we are privileged to have and to hold the key of whether or not we will in our hands at all times. Matter of fact, I have a a book written by a neurosurgeon at home that he's a Chris professing Christian and he's taught his book is called Addictions in Grace. And it's 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 way too medical for me to follow. But there's a line in that book that he has told me, and I believe him. He says that even in the most addicted soul we must always remember that there is a moment of decision to sin or not to sin. And right there is where the grace of God works better than anything he can do with his knife. It's true. Stand in awe and sin not. And David calls out that to be at a place of rest, we need to man up and take personal responsibility for what happens in our lives. And I know it's hard. I know that sometimes we get distracted, and I know that sometimes we don't really always think about what we're doing. That's to our own hurt. But I believe, and I practice in my own life, that if this flesh were to commit sin, or actually omit too, that's my own fault, not somebody else's, or it's not something beyond my touch, and I feel strongly about that because I've spent too much of my time wondering if that was true. And the other options are enough to drive you crazy. I don't know if you ever thought about that. But you want to remove personal responsibility, you can hardly live with yourself. Ask anybody that struggles with addictions, and, and they'll tell you that. I mean, they feel helpless, but they also know that without that accountability and responsibility, they're doomed. So you stand in all, you sin not, and then he talks about this thing of communing with your own heart. <laughs> okay, it's okay to hear voices, and most of us talk to ourselves. I think I do more than other people, at least out loud, and there's nothing wrong with it. It just gets kind of weird if there's other people around. I have learned in the self-talk world that the things we say out loud are more entrenched in our souls than the things we just flit through our minds. And that's a grace, because it means that when you get a temptation that enters your head, if there's no self-talk, it really doesn't root near like if you begin to turn it over and mom and say, but I think, and it ain't fair, but how, how can we, and so on and so forth. I came to this verse... In my studies, because of that line, you commune with your own heart upon your bed. And uh, when it comes to self-talk, there is none more intimate than what we do when we're supposed to be sleeping. At least that's how it works for me. And um, the problem with that is that bed talk is some of the slippery slopes around. I don't know. I don't know how many of you have are aware of this, but. Those of us that do chattering to ourselves when we ought to be sleeping often go places without much struggle that we wouldn't when the sun was up. You ever notice the difference? Have you ever been fast asleep and you woke up and not had a bad dream, and you just lay there and like, is that real or isn't it? Look, the sun was shining, yet no, it wasn't. But when it's dark. It's almost like we've unhooked some cable somewhere and and there's a floating that's going on. And he brings this subject up in the instruction through song and he says, um, "When when you're on your bed, be careful. Think very carefully about what you think about while you're asleep. We have this phrase that we will sleep on it and decide in the morning. And if you can sleep, good for you, but not all of us do. Communing with your own heart is a a powerful exercise. But I know that I'm not the only one in where the night is different than the day. I heard that song you sang last night, The Shadows of the Evening Fall. Or was I listening? No, you, you sang that one here last night, didn't you? From Midnight Fears. What's that? I don't know. Ask the songwriter. I do know, actually. From midnight fears deliver us. Must be fairly common. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. What for? Because it's getting dark. You see, this thing of communing with ourselves, I think is very central to how we can live out our lives. And um, it's no secret that what you tell yourself is what you will what you will experience after the telling. And there's a lot of different ways we can go in our self-talk. You can either reflect on all the ways that God is good and how that goodness of God is reflected in your life, but also how it's impacting the steps that you are taking. Or you can think about the ways that life just isn't working out. It ain't going the way I thought it was going to my health why do I feel so old this week? Wonder what's wrong? I'll tell you a tip questions are no good. Our status do they really like me at Strasbourg? I haven't thought that one really <laughs> but it's, it's it happens. you know people start worrying about their acceptance their wealth I'll never have enough to retire I've listened to that one my relationships. But you see, my respect, my fear for the Almighty and my holiness to his precepts are huge factors in what the communion looks like. So he talks about standing and all, don't sin, commune upon your bed, and be still. I don't know if I can get away with this, but how many of you know what it's like to be still? You can do it. You've got it down pat up here and between here. When it's time to be still, you're still. Switch. Can you do it? You don't want to let that much out. You're a pretty passive bunch right now. (laughs) I'm not sure I have this figured out. I know Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I know that Exodus 14, God called out to the Israelites who were, uh, in in everyday language, freaking out because the the, the Egyptians were coming with a whole army and the water was over here and it's going, (coughs) Stand still and see the salvation of god what were they supposed to do i'll give you what i think and what i try to practice to get to a pathway i'll tell you this first that stillness is a family relative to peace they look a lot the same they look like brothers As a matter of fact sometimes you confuse the one for the other and you know what peace is don't you peace is that rest it's that relaxation, it's that even in a storm, the dove sits in the nest and he doesn't fall out. And he doesn't even think he's going to. He's at peace. Okay? Peace is the destination of a path, it's an arrival at the spot. So I have I have enhanced my own viewpoints in life by simply telling myself that if I repent of my sin and my sinfulness, then I get peace. See, see, it's a destination of a path. Go to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. You probably know these verses by heart. I know them until I try to say them in front of a group of people, and then they're gone. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I would say that anybody that can follow those two verses in the sequence that it's laid out can be still. So what's the verse saying? Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made good unto God, and equals the peace of God will pass all understanding and keep your hearts in mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, so it works like this. One time I was reading an old dictionary and I looked up the word emotion and it said something like this. It said that emotion is uh, one of the states of the mind as compared to our thoughts and our actions. It wasn't the whole dictionary definition, but I read that and I said it's saying that they're all equal in some way. And then one day, I was reading somebody else's writings, and they, you know what a roundabout is? You have roundabouts here in Virginia on the highway? You can get in there just for the fun of it. You can just keep going around and around. Okay. There's two other states of the mind, and the one is your thinking or your cognition. I'm just going to make these words look the same so that they might stick a little better. And the other one is your actions of the will or your volitions. (coughs) And the way life works is that we ought not to be anxious, careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God shall fill your hearts and minds. It's really simple, it is a pathway. And if you're laying on your bed and the world seems to be exploding inside your skull and you don't know why, about the best thing you can do for yourself is to start thinking. And there's all kinds of options. What some people do is they start counting their blessings one by one and they think about that. I have a home. My wife is here beside me. Where did she? I, I don't know how I ever got her. Thank you, Lord. And you just kind of rumble down through and you keep making that list. I, I know people that um, they just, they think about the plan of salvation and they walk through that in their minds. When they, when they don't like the feeling they have, they start back at Genesis 1 in the middle of the night. Once upon a time, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And there were seven days that went on and then he rested. And... Um, I believe all that. That's that's true. It seems like a long time ago, but it's it's true. And and um, just move down through, and you you look at Adam's sin, and you you think about how that all worked out, and think about Noah's ark, and how there were eight people saved, and, and what it seems so silly to, in, when everything's lit up. But what I have found is that you start walking down through that. Some people just start quoting verses all at once. You can say it all Psalm 23. Alright, now let's try Hebrews. And all you're doing is you are aware that what is skyrocketing right now isn't is kind of junk. It ain't much good. So we'll just simply do something else. And you come over here and you start walking through it. And 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 when you're when you're communing upon your bed and it's time to be still. There's not much to do except change the flow path, and and it, it, this works. Um, I've done it myself, and uh, it doesn't mean that I'll never wake up again and I'll be back here again. But there's, I mean, in in Philippians 4, this was going on. But this, you can you can watch this thing go through where a uh, where a parent, most of our Most of the trail, please understand, most of the trail in this little roundabout always starts right here. For whatsoever a man thinketh in his heart, that shall he also be. There it goes. It's his thoughts that lead to his actions, and then he gets feelings. And a fair question, whenever we have a feeling that we don't like or we know is not appropriate and seems to be unanchored, there is value in saying, what in the world was I thinking about? in the last 10 minutes, or the last 10 hours, or the last 10 days. And I have experienced, in my own experience, a drive to New York at 4 o'clock in the morning. And when I get up there, I have a splitting headache, and I don't feel one bit like working. And the truth is that while it was dark, I just had to... And it was brooding, and brooding, and brooding, and brooding... And the problem is that when you go down that trail, you can't get to be still from there. And you can't actually do the rest of what's in here. And so what I'm actually talking about right now is almost something that is very, very narrow. But if, if, if I can see it in my heart and I can follow this path in such a way that I change the sequence, and it starts over here, you can always choose what you want to think about. And I know what it's like to have the, the, the feelings ramped up till the pulse is racing and the sweat is coming out your hands and you, want, you know that you need to change. And it starts with a thought. And the hardest thing in the world it feels like is to think right. But it's the most hope I can offer you. Just give it a try. And when it doesn't work, keep trying. They have pills for this. It doesn't work very well for me. I think the other way is better. He goes on and he says, well, I just made a list here of, of pathways that lead to stillness. I talked about them. Thankfulness. You know that thankfulness leads to stillness and complaining leads to terror. You know that recounting truth leads to stillness and asking questions leads to paranoia. Human beings ought to pretty much yank the why question out of their vocabulary. We don't do good with the why questions. Check it out sometime. Why God why has not benefited anybody that I know of. So move away from questions and go to stating truth in your thinking processes. Compassion leads to stillness. Criticism leads to fretting. There's ways that, that we can feed a, a love for one another, and there's ways that we can feed a contempt for one another. Always watch out for the questions. Okay, go to verse 5. Part of this plan is then to offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Righteousness is what? one of those questions that's so simple we're not sure how to answer it. It's actually, I remember the definition I came across, I think it was in a Bible dictionary one time. It said that righteousness is that which God has elected for man to do. Oh, so it is. Righteousness is that which God has elected for man to do. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Do good and forget not to communicate. <laughs> On and on and on. But the phraseology here is unique because it's called the sacrifice of righteousness. You know what a sacrifice is? It's when you take a lamb and you bring it up on the altar and you slit it through it and you kill it. And you've lost a lamb, but you gained a sacrifice. And the truth of life is that again and again, I find that the paths of righteousness cost... I can make more money being wicked. That's the normal for all the generations. It's the evil man that gets ahead. Now, for some reason, the plain people have done not too bad in the last 80 years. But that is actually a high irregularity to history. And it's one that bewilders people that look at it. We don't understand how... The last two or three generations have gotten to be rich by being right. You even go out of this country and you can't find it. The Christians suffer. Ye, All that live godly shall suffer persecution. And we don't know why we don't. Oh, well, our neighbors sometimes scorn at us and they cheek their fist or they just turn their head away. Yeah, well, I guess in America that's persecution, but it's not in India. And we don't know why that those rules have have seemed to change just for since about 1950 up till now. Well, we offer the sacrifice of righteousness even though it costs, and we're not surprised if it costs. We're okay. We're not bitter, and we don't rage when righteousness costs. We're just glad that we can serve our Savior. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. And David is laying out a step-by-step process of how we ought to move forward, doing the will of God, knowing that he answers us, knowing that we're set apart, him that is godly for himself. And then the last thing he says here is, at the end of verse 5, he says, put your trust in God. How does trust work? It's not fair. I thought about this a lot more than you did. Okay, I'll tell you how trust works. Very simple. It's a choice. That's it. Trust is a choice. I'll tell you something. I'll give you an illustration. Last week, the manager at Altoona Store called me and he said, Hey, if you're interested in making runs back to headquarters, there's a Sprinter van sitting at Bedford that needs to go back and there's a new truck that needs to come out. I said, oh, okay, well, I'm going to Virginia for next week, so I probably won't have any time. He said, well, I just wanted to let you know. He said, I need to tell you one more thing. He said, the thing has 300,000 miles on it, and it's shot. He said, you have to stop every 50 miles and tighten the lug nuts or the wheels will fly off. I said, so that's why it's sitting there and nobody takes it east. He said, yeah. I said, I don't want to take it either. I'm not going to trust a sprinter that the wheels fly off when you go 50 miles. He said, yeah, nobody else will either. So I went home and I told my, my family about this van and my 19-year-old said, I'll take it. He said, give me a lug wrench. And I said, I'll take it. I don't care if I have to stop every 40 miles. I'll take it. Do you see the difference in trust? Okay, he's 19, so he's not so smart. Well, I guess that's one way to look at it. On the other hand, one man chooses to trust and the other one doesn't. And that's how it works. There isn't a soul in the face of this earth that trusts the Lord without trying to. And there's not a soul on earth that trusts Him even if they didn't want to. It's way too simple. And it frustrates the daylights out of me when I'm quivering. Because I feel powerless to make that decision of trust. It'll be okay. God is good. God is all-powerful. He's called me to this work. I need to go on and do it. And all that's left for me to do is say, okay, I will. Trust in the Lord. It's very, very simple. It's very, very essential. Now this voice comes in, and the voice says, who will show us any good? What is that question actually saying? Why is David borrowing that? Well, it's like this. In the span of human existence, in religion and out of religion, in church and out of church, there is an ongoing temptation among the faces of men to somehow doubt if God is really who he says he is and if he'll do what he said he's going to and we can trust him. And this is actually a very wicked question, because I need to tell you that God has already done more than he needed to, and there's actually nothing more that he could do for man. I don't know if you ever thought about that. There is nothing left for Jehovah to do for his creation. It's all on us. And so when you have somebody that will rear up in the face of that goodness, he that spared not his own son, how shall he not freely give us all good things? That's Romans 8.31. But there is a generation that continues to validate the question of is there anyone that will do us any good? And it's cynicism at best and downright wickedness at its worst to somehow know and yet raise that question in self-communion. It happens a lot. This is actually a rhetorical question. Anybody who asks that question already knows the answer. Who will do us any good? There's no one left to do it, because all the good has been already been prepared for us. And I know it hurts like everything, when our best friend is killed. I know it hurts like everything when a child is born with a handicap. I know it hurts like everything when, 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 we, are, when we, we hoped for this and we got that. But none of these things validate the question. The rhetorical question still stands. That we know the answer. No one. The question is actually asked a lot more in self-communion than it is in public speech but to that question David raises this answer Lord lift up the light of thy countenance upon us I like metaphors light of countenance what's the countenance last week Sam Yoder sent me a picture on on uh, on uh, um, messaging and he I'm trying to remember if it was whatsapp or signal it was something like that it was a messaging app and um, He said, are you on this plane? And it was a picture of a man. I looked at it. I don't know what the back of my head looks like, but I'll show it to my wife. She said, that does look like you. Well, I wasn't. He was flying from uh, from Atlanta, Georgia to Cleveland, Ohio to go see his daughter at Erie. And I wasn't on that plane. But he didn't know who it was. He sort of thought it looked like me. But he told me later that when he got off the plane, he saw the man's countenance, his face. And he knew it wasn't me. And that's how we know each other. I... You know, I have trouble with your faces, but I've given up on your backside of your heads. I mean, it's just I'm not gonna know it. The countenance is where you recognize it. And we talk about, you know, looking at somebody and their face lights up. And here he's calling for the light of his countenance. It's David is calling in the midst of this 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 wicked cynicism, he's saying, Lord, show us your face. Show us the light of your face. Turn your face toward us, and we want to watch it light up. It's kind of how you do with a baby. Go, ah, okay? he, he's looking for that. Now, this is something I did get from Adam Clark, and I thought it was interesting. He says that the gifts of God are in four categories. Okay, every gift that comes from above, James 1.17, comes from down from above, is from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variable, neither shadow of turning. But they're, they're, they're categories, categorized in four categories. Number one is the intellectual gifts. Most of you can do math. You can think through things. You can logic. You can you can reason. You can gravitate measure, 47 and three quarters. Thinking, think, think, think. It's the intellectual gifts. You can make decisions. You can look at a sun dog and say, mm, rain in 24 hours. Okay, that's intellect. That's using the gray matter. And it's a gift that we get from God. Of course, then we category number two. He had Latin names for all these, which I ain't going to repeat. But the second one is the is the earthly blessings. You farmers are doing a harvest now, aren't you? It's only 120 bushel of corn, but it's 120 bushel of corn. That's way more than you ever put out there. You're getting a harvest, and it's a blessing. It comes from your Father in heaven. You have housing. You have clothing. You have transportation around here. you got that interstate out here, and you can go right down to Harrisonburg to work can in Bangladesh. It's not there. You would never work. (laughs) In Harrisonburg, it would take you all day to ride a bus to get there, and if you take your motorcycle, it would still take you four hours. Wouldn't be any time left to work and then come back home again. We have these blessings. And then there's this big word he uses that's like It's bigger than I can say Coropio? Coropio? That. Coropio endowments. Okay. It just means that we're dexterous. We are created. So the other day, I was on a service call, and I wanted to start up the well pumps, but the system, whoever put the floats in wasn't very smart. They put them where you can't reach them. And so I went and took the lid off this big 2,000-gallon tank, and I reached down in with my left hand, and I reached down around the back, and then, oh, I could spin my hand around like that. And I almost got it. That's just too far. went back out to the truck. I have a wire about that long that I use to to rebuild some big control valves. I took that thing, and I reached back around, and I hooked it with that wire. And then I took my fingers, and I pulled the, it, the wire back through until I felt it in my fingertips, and I grabbed it. And I had to float And I flipped it up and the well pump started. It's just that ability relating to the physical body and the doctor says you can play piano, you can type, you can, it's that, it's not intellect, it's something beyond that. It's it's where you can take this limb and you can reach and you start turning it And you start turning it and you start turning it and all of a sudden that hand is completely upside down from the way it was made and you can still use it. And a mechanic can turn a nut. That's a blessing you have from God. But the greatest of all blessings is personal connection. Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Yep, that's the greatest. And David says, when we get that blessing, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that we get 120 bushel of corn. That's what he says. Or seven baskets of tomatoes. Did you know that divine connection is the world's greatest blessing that is out there? Before, while, we were yet sin, Christ, with, with, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Never, ever undervalue the personal connection. The wall of partition is torn down, Ephesians 2 would say, through the work of Christ. And David is just begging for that connection. And you know what he says then? He says, show us your face. And when we get it, it'll be better than getting a whopping harvest and we'll get to lay down and sleep. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. The divine connection is enough to make us sleep like a baby. And when you commune upon your bed, you know, when you have this this peace, you can wake up in the middle of the night and the reflections, instead of being paranoid or or scary or, 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 or driving and thumping and some of the some of the really unhappy things that seem to happen, you can be awake and say, "Oh, I'm not sleeping." Well, let's just talk about all the ways that God was good to me. And you just lay there, and after a while, drowsiness comes back, and then it's morning. And and this is all the meditation is talking about. It's kind of a a song about how you get to sleep at night. I enjoyed studying into it. I hope that it could be some inspiration to you. I'm not going to give an invitation tonight, because if there's anyone here that needs help in this department, there's not so much something you can do right now, tonight. I'm just simply giving you the scriptural formula of what you can start doing as you get into the roundabout and just follow it through. If you want to talk about it more after the service, I, I do enjoy the subject. I need a lot of help in the subject. I'm, I'm not as stable as I look. Um, but hopefully, you can be inspired and taught by the song that a man sung about thinking, sleeping, connection with God 4,000 years ago. Let's stand for dismissal. Father which art in heaven, thank you that you have turned your face toward us. Thank you for Jesus who died for us while we were yet sinners and gave us the forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternal life and the prospects of every night peace. Thank you, Lord, for how much you loved us and have done for us. And help us always to live above the lie that there's no one that will do us any good. Pray for this congregation, whatever their journey is, whatever their highs and lows may be, be near to them and give them peace and help them to sleep tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.